You're listening to The Grind, well-caffeinated conversations with disc golfers who are passionate about improving their games and helping others to do the same. Welcome to episode 25 of The Grind, the disc golf podcast. I'm Josiah, and with me, my good buddy David, as well as Josh and Mikey from Overthrow Disc Golf. Welcome to the podcast. Yo, you want to keep that music going? That was sick. <laughs> it's great. I love the intro. I always get hyped. I'm always bobbing. I, know, I was like, just keep it going. I'm ready to talk, baby. <laughs> I'm always bobbing my head, so it's kind of actually fun to see it in the video this time. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've got a great episode lined up for you this week. Josh and Mike here are going to talk to us about what are those things that keep AMs and lower-level pros from leveling up their game when it comes to form. We could talk about other stuff, too. And then we're going to talk about how important form is to your score. We're going to review the DGA sale, which is a fun disc. But first, as always, and we'll, David, we'll start with you. What are you sipping on, and how was your disc golf week? Oh, we're drinking on some ESX blend from Kiln Coffee Bar. It's their espresso uh, blend. Uh, right now, it's a blend of Brazil and Guatemala and Colombia. I think the Brazil is the 40%, and 40% is the Guatemala, and 20% is the Colombia. You're letting their secrets go. I'm letting all of the secrets go of the build of the espresso. Um, but uh, we're, Josiah and I are drinking on iced lattes right now. You guys are drinking just hot coffee, right? Uh, uh, this is why I brought my good buddy Dakota over. Dakota, okay. here. Let me just. Uh, sorry, Colby. Yeah, what, what are we drinking, Dakota? What do we got, well, Dakota? Welcome to, the, welcome to the podcast, Dakota. Thank you. Uh, so Mikey is drinking just an Americano. He asked for whatever the blackest uh, drink I could get him. Cool. So yeah. I'm also a scaldingest. Cool. Yeah, you, I that was the uh, that was the <laughs> mug that I thought would be the least uh, ho- holding in the heat, but it did not, and burned them. Um, I have a little uh, Breville. Espresso oh, sick! At home, yeah. So, uh, Josh, as a, I think it just made you a mocha with the ESX blend. As nice, well. nice, nice, dude. So. Breville pulls some good espresso, man. Is it their their base model? Yeah, um, yeah. It's just a little, a little uh, machine we picked up because. I used to run a coffee shop in outside of Seattle oh, cool. for a few years and I wanted to continue doing it, but for myself. That's so, awesome. Dude, Breville's like the perfect baseline for cost. It yeah. pulls great espresso. The seam one can be a pain sometime, but it's, it's solid. I use yeah, a Breville for home espresso and I love it. Yeah. I had one, but I gave it to a buddy. I didn't give it to Josiah. I gave it to another buddy. <laughs> David, David doesn't really like making coffee at home since he does it for work. So, <laughs> yeah, when I was running a coffee shop, I was like, I don't want to ever see anything at home because I know I'm going to have to see this all day because I was a manager, so I was there so, several, like 50 hours, 60 hours a week. So. Yeah, that's what you but just, you don't want to go in when you don't have to. Exactly. Uh, I have a, actually our, what would be considered our rival coffee shop is like right down the street from my house. So me and my wife hang out there on Saturdays and Sundays, every Saturday, Sunday. But we're good that's friends sick. with all of them. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's awesome. That way you don't have to make it's your own coffee. They're actually closed this week, so I won't be able to go in. They ha- they have a week off every year for a camping trip, and so all their guys were hanging out in our shop today. <laughs> that's cool. uh, but so, yeah, yeah the, the, the espresso is kind of built. I'm not sure what you guys are getting out of it, but what it's built is to kind of have a classic taste. So kind of in the coffee industry, traditionally, you're getting like a – and espresso, the goal is always to have kind of a chocolatey, nutty taste. But traditionally, it's going to be a little bit darker on espresso. 
um, the modern craft coffee industry that's been going on. Um, there's definitely been a shift with um, what's going on in espresso. There's definitely people are doing all kinds of different, more complicated things with bringing in some natural coffees that bring in some really fruity, berry notes in the coffee, uh, which Dakota might be familiar with. Um, but uh, I, I'm familiar because of what you guys talk about. <laughs> about cherry on, cherry off, washed, not washed. Dude, that's impressive. I'm, I'm, I'm halfway not there. It's crazy <laughs> how in-depth you can get on something that seems so simple. Um, and it is so simple. Like that's throwing what, a Frisbee. Yeah. Our, uh, that's what the guy who built our espresso machine, the first thing he told me, he said, at the end of the day, just remind yourself, it's just coffee. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so our espresso is basically built to have kind of a classic taste. It's a lighter roast, um, which is not classic. It's not traditional. Uh, but because we're using a Brazil, Brazil is typically used to have Brazil typically has a single note, chocolate. There's not a whole lot going on in it. And so that gives you that base layer of what people expect in espresso. And then the Guatemala and uh, Colombia is given a little bit more complexity with some of the nuttiness, toffiness going on. That gives it some sort of complexity that kind of can gauge with a little bit more of the nerdy side of the coffee drinkers while at the same time appeasing uh, just the everyday coffee drinkers that just want, just give me my cup of coffee. I want something that tastes remotely like what I expect. And so this is kind of, what? Can I just buy all your coffee right now? Like <laughs> listening to you talk about coffee makes you want to buy. I'm like, this guy knows what he's talking about. I want all of the bags of what he's having. <laughs> There's a lot of good coffee roasters. I'm not sure. I'm actually not sure where you guys live, but I'm sure I could look up and figure out good coffee roasters in your area. There's, I tell listen. people research for us. we're, we're doing, we're, we're obviously doing stuff that we're really proud of and we believe in, but man, there's so many incredible coffee roasters in the States now that we're, we're crazy lucky. You, you shouldn't, you should be able to go to any bigger city and experience an incredible cup of coffee. So and we're, we're, we're a smaller town and we have two yeah, we, great craft coffee shops. We have two roasters and then we have, we also have uh, another coffee shop that carries one of my favorite roasters out of California. Um, Cat and Cloud Roasters is a company that's really influenced the industry over the past five years. And uh, yeah, they're right up the street from our coffee shop actually. So yeah, yeah we've got um, a coffee shop third wave that I know roasts their own stuff. Oh, cool. It's actually Hunter from Foundation. His brother owns the coffee shop. Oh, yeah. yeah. What's it called? Third, third wave. wave. Oh, cool. Do you guys know what third wave means in coffee? Yeah. So yeah, third I wave mean, is like the third wave like means craft coffee. coffee. Yeah. Yep. You went like first wave where it was like Folgers. Second wave yeah. is Starbucks and everything yeah. that the everybody has kind of modeled after that. And then craft coffee third wave is that's the kind of what's been going on in the states now. We're all kind of being influenced. We're taking everything that's going on in Australia is the major influencer right now. So. Yeah, we're all just follow, we're all just following along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you talked about like the espresso that kind of appeased the masses, yeah. that's us. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I wouldn't say that, Josh. <laughs> I mean, I heard everything they just said. I was like, man, I just relate to that. <laughs> Whatever I, that was. <laughs> uh, I think it's like anything you can nerd it out and yeah. get super deep, but I think to be honest yeah. with you, the first time I had a light roast uh, from an African country on drip, I was like, this is way too sour for coffee. 
This just feels not like coffee. I want I don't I don't want the brightness. I want the richness. I want the bitterness. And now I don't even notice. I'm like, oh, this is this is fantastic. I, and I feel like everything is just a matter of you have your own preferences, and then your preferences change with exposure. And this podcast, I've been like, oh, David, I didn't know that processes mattered this much, or I had no idea that you could have based on roasting, you could have a totally different taste or whatever that is. Yeah. So what's funny is even just like we've been learning a ton of stuff about each other and how we compete and disc golf throughout, um, along with coffee, there's been two processes that I discovered that I had no idea existed. There was one that we did last week with JC that I think is called a candy natural. It just got invented. I think like four <laughs> years ago or something. And there's still just one farm doing, it. I was like, I had never heard of this. <laughs> so it's been super fun for us too, doing the coffee side of things. But a lot of our listeners don't care and they can't taste this coffee. So David, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how was your disc golf week? Uh, disc golf week was pretty good, man. Um, I didn't play throughout the course of the week, but I think on Saturday, did we play together? Oh, no, I played. I didn't play with you at all, man. No, I played with a couple other buddies. Uh, we played our putter course, and I was just texting Josiah, bragging to him. Because <laughs> Josiah got me hooked on the Berg, man. And we have a putter course that's just a nine-hole putter course. And I have two Bergs, and I do a forehand shot and a backhand shot on every hole. And I think I, one of the rounds, I, I think I just missed two. I think I was 16 for 18 on it. I was super yeah. pumped. And, this uh, is that course that you guys compete with each other on, and you're like, man, we got to find somewhere else. On Westlake, yeah. No, this is this is 16. Yeah, this is uh, an even easier course. This oh, yeah, is this is just putter course. No obstacles, nice grass. Yeah. yeah, but good good upshot practice. Yeah, it's a, it's an upshot course for putters for sure. Um, mm. So played that, uh, and I actually played saltwash too in the evening. Um, Saltwash is like a really short technical Another course. short technical course right behind my house. Um, and it also has a good field, so I was also doing some practicing my distance shots. Uh, we've been, I've been trying to work on gaining some distance lately, and I thought I crushed one this week. I, th- I finally thought that I got past 400 feet. On the backhand. I, the most I've ever, ever measured myself before was 395, and so I go out there. I was so pumped. My wife is standing where I had released it from so I could mm. laser her. And <laughs> 395 feet. I was so pissed. <laughs> you were no. I thought I finally you got like, bad. Hey, Megan, back up, back up. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, those always suck. Yeah, and then then I got out today and got to play. Um, my wife and I went to Watson, which is our a kind of easier 18 hole course that has some technical shots with it. But we play it so much, you just know the shots. Um, we played about 10 holes together. I was really messing around with the sail. And it was a pretty fun disc to mess around with. Definitely something I've never really thrown like it before because um, it's definitely on the understable side that we'll talk about later. I'm obsessed with overstable discs. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a fun week of disc golf. Yeah, I had a good week too. I didn't play much. I had uh, a round with my brother and then a morning round before work and it's a little bit of field work, I think. And it game felt much better i feel like i had a lot of really lucky breaks which made me feel good about my game even though there were like you know like the skip over a big log that parks the hole when you'd normally be 60 short you're like hey i'll take it so i felt good about my game whether my game is actually on i don't know uh but i really need to start putting practice again because the putter feels great one round and not great the other and 
just been lazy and my yard is not appropriate for it right now. We have way too many plants. So the garage is getting cleaned up to do some putter practice. What about you guys? How was your week? I'll go first because Mikey's got a lot to talk about. <laughs> nice. I'm excited. So I'm talking about disc golf weeks, like snap. <laughs> yeah, he had the week he had one of the weeks of disc golf weeks. I um played a couple courses, did some we've got the Creators Cup coming up. Don't know if you guys have heard of what that is. Yeah, I've heard a, I've followed a little bit of it for sure, but can you explain yeah. the g- general outline? Yeah, so it's a bunch of content creators. We're going to meet down in Charleston, South Carolina. Foundation is opening up a new store there, so it's kind of HQ for the Creators Cup. There are four events um, that are scored. Distance comp, accuracy comp, putting comp, and then there's a singles round. That's awesome. In which the best singles score from your channel um, is what's scored. Okay. And so each of those are worth 20 points, except for the singles round is worth 40. So it's I like that. That's fun. Yeah. And then after that, the top four channels will go head-to-head in match play. So it'll be 2v2, and then those will you know, eliminate, and then you'll go – or sorry, it'll be 1v1 semis and then 1v1 finals. Oh, okay. So, so does that mean – does that mean – are you both going, or is it just one – it's all three of us. So it's me, Mikey, and Mikey's brother has been interning right. with us for the summer. Right. Intern Tim. <laughs> Intern Tim. <laughs> so, yeah. So I did some field work this week, practicing for the accuracy comp. Um, I don't know when this channel is going to come out. It doesn't matter because it doesn't affect any of my competition. It'll, so, it'll, but, be, uh, it'll be a week from today. Yeah. So I'll be ready to play the accuracy comp. I will be like two days from now by the time you're listening to this. Mm. I'll be competing in accuracy comp. Dang. But, uh, it's so surreal. <laughs> just, yeah. So soon. Kinda, yeah, the points are kind of cool. So I, I practiced some of that, trying to get some strategy because there are points. It's kind of top golfish in terms of the setup. So I did some of that. I've been grinding on the putting. So I try to putt once, if not twice a day. And, uh, Spoiler alert, it's not really getting better. You say spoil? Uh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. This is, he's going to edit that out. <laughs> no, keep it. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> no, you don't have to. We keep most of our stuff in, so yeah. don't feel any pressure. Um, yeah, um, played a couple courses. Didn't have a particularly amazing or particular, just kind of a get work done type of week. Yeah. Yeah, so how many creators are going to be out there? Eight. Okay, that's fun. Cool. Yep. Do you want to know who they are? Yes. Too bad. Uh. Oh! <laughs> no. Okay, so it's going to be us. So it's Overthrow, Foundation, Robbie C, oh, Molt, sick. sorry, Michael Holt. Yep. Um, Miss Frisbees. Yep. Um, Swanky, Danny Lindahl on oh, behalf cool. of Dynamic. Yeah. And then I'm missing one. Some other. Apollo. Oh, okay, cool. I really like Apollo Disc Golf. If you guys haven't subscribed to their YouTube channel, or of course Overthrows as well, but you should. They have great content, but I feel like they don't have their subscriber count is not in line with their content. Indicative. Yeah, Disc Reviews is. If you're if you got a couple thousand people, you're pretty good yeah. in that market. I feel. Yeah. Well, they got more than Disc Reviews too, but I do think that is the majority of it. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's going to be Mikey, fun. Mikey, how was is, how is your disc golf week? Um, so 
Good. Went to USWDGC, hung out with Paul Macbeth and the rest of the crowd. Yeah. So Typical I week. do some video work for Paul. Uh, so I stayed, we stayed at Airbnb for about seven days. A um, couple of Estonians, Kaidi and Katie. Uh, they're both playing uh, in Idlewild as well and Paul. But we, we had a good time. Really, any time I get to spend with Paul is great because uh, I just end up picking up something new. That's uh, cool. Either like mindset wise or I literally like that's what they pay me for is to follow him. So I follow him everywhere, you know, minus the bathroom and, and when he sleeps, like I literally <laughs> am there. So, uh, yeah, good rounds of disc golf played by the ladies at USWDGC. Paul was on Hannah's bag. Oh, fun. Uh, for the whole time. So that That's was crazy. It. He was uh, caddying for Hannah, which ended up being good in the long run. He kind of got fired day <laughs> one a few times and then rehired in the very same day. Um, that sounds but, like a typical yeah. marriage. My wife will <laughs> yeah. hire me so and fast. Then, <laughs> yeah, by the end of it, though, like they had something good going. So uh. you'll get to see some of that in the video I'll be editing for them. That, you know, man, I got to get on the editing for that. <laughs> Awesome. But uh, yeah, that was my week, basically. Field work session with them for I'd, personal disc golf? Yeah. Yeah, I got to throw in the field with Paul a couple times, just me and him. That was kind of uh, crazy, not going to lie. That's why. I got to stand like right next to Paul, and I've been next to him when he throws, but to be able to like throw next to him and you kind of see what he's doing, I'm like, oh, let me try that because it looks like my disc is nose up compared to his, and I would have never thought my disc was nose up right like really i i was like oh i don't have a nose angle issue but then i watch his i'm like dude why is his i feel like we're throwing the same speed right now but his is just cutting through the wind and i'm looking at it, i'm like okay that's a nose angle thing for sure so i was able to make some adjustments and uh yeah i mean just imagine throwing next to paul and you, <laughs> at the same time and you can see both discs you're like, oh, I can make this correction. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. What is he? Yeah. What does he like to be around? Because he's uh, he's great. He is very just likes to have a good time, uh, personable. He um, he just handles himself really well. He was. It's funny during this trip. It was his off week, so in my opinion, he's about as giddy as you could get Paul to get, because I felt like he's just having a good time with everything. So. Yeah less of that like I'm going to destroy everyone mindset while I'm on the course which I feel like a lot of people think he has that but as soon as he he only has that for like 20 seconds per hole yep and then in between holes he's like super personable you could talk to him and and uh very very friendly and humble approachable guy that's so, cool that's really cool yep that's awesome my wife and I got to meet him and Hannah um in Arizona when they did the meet and greet at a uh, it was just Spinners before the, the memorial. Green. Yeah, Spinners on the Green. And Megan, my wife's name is Megan. She was super pumped to meet Hannah. Had a super personal conversation with her, super friendly. Mm -hmm. My wife loves engaging. And I'm always, I'm the type of person that I feel like I'm just a burden. If I'm meeting anybody, I'm like, I don't want oh, to yeah, overwhelm. So I'm just like, oh, yeah. And then my, I'm just like, can we get a photo for the boss lady kind of palming it off on my wife? <laughs> just like, <laughs> I just felt like a burden. But he was super kind. Super, and we were towards the uh, back of the line, so... They seem like super great people, but I feel like I always just kind of don't want to say too much because I don't want to just be another person that's a burden on them. 
<laughs> yeah, it is interesting uh, because I did get to experience what it's like or at least empathize with what it might be like to be Paul and Hannah, even when they're just out. If they're on a disc golf course, they're not going to be able to have a normal time. Yeah. yeah, It's basically the equivalent of like, okay, a movie star out at a restaurant. They can't get anything done or like, you know, our plans were to go to this player's party and all hang out. And the truth of the matter is it is kind of tough sometimes when everyone's like approaching you outside of those designated time frames of mm -hmm. like, hey, this is the signing area and whatever. So as long as you're sticking to the he's at the signing area, he's fully present and wants to talk with you for a second. I mean, not too long, but... And again, it's like just kind of understanding that I think is helpful. Like he he's very present when he's there, but I feel bad because everyone comes up to him and Hannah basically just at the venue itself. So, you know, not being able to get hardly any time to just like go and hang out with other disc golfers and stuff. So it's definitely a it's an interesting world. Yeah, I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. No way. Yeah, it's tough. Uh. My, uh, did I interrupt you earlier, Josh? Oh, I was just going to say, and I don't know where it fits, but something that we don't talk about on the channel enough is like Mikey was also a tennis coach and also a director of tennis at a different club. So he's got the, uh, even though his demeanor is much different from mine, and it's like, okay, you could see me being a coach more easily because of demeanor and because I'm always in front of the camera. It's like Mikey will pull out super valuable things from being around Paul that, you know, most people wouldn't pull out. So it's nice when he gets to yeah. go to these things because yeah. he'll come back with like... He still has the eye for it, for sure. Goodies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The eye, and he'll talk about things and he'll see things that are super important that aren't like, again like form stuff it's like nose angle is form but it's like dude like i'm throwing just as fast as him why yeah i i'm checks and balances for josh like as another coach basically uh he'll start talking about something and i i usually come at it kind of skeptical sometimes i'm like oh yeah really do you want to be teaching that and he's like yes and he like explains it and i start doing it. i'm like okay you're clear that's good <laughs> <laughs> And he usually, and that's, that's what, one thing that most people don't know about Josh is like, I was working at this country club. Uh, we ended up hiring Josh as some extra help for like juniors and stuff. And I got to watch the process of him becoming a really good coach, kind of like from the beginning where he maybe had some good personality traits to be a coach, but he just was a beginner. And I can tell you one thing really cool about Josh is that he put in work, like sold out every single day coming into uh, the country club. And he would literally just watch video after video. He'll read, he, like whatever it was, he was doing research every single day in the downtime. Whereas like for me as a coach, when I'm off court, I'm barely ever touching that stuff because I'm <laughs> teaching enough as is. But Josh was just soaking everything in. And uh, for a little bit, I hated that about him because I'm like, this guy's going to take my job. <laughs> I'm like, this guy's working way too hard. I can't keep up with this guy. I was like, no way. And uh, after a while, I just started to really appreciate that about him. And, and it has turned into 
uh, I very quickly, I was like, hey, dude, I'd take tennis lessons from you as a coach who teaches tennis lessons. Like, I really would because he was just that gifted. He was a sponge taking everything in from these people that had been teaching for a long time, like top name pros and stuff. And uh, he's very perceptive. And again, I like to tell people about that just to give a little bit of background as to how Josh got to where he is right now. And, uh, and all the drills and stuff that he does and I'm editing through and listening to you know hundreds of times, I have gotten much better. My form has gotten better. Uh, I at least know for a fact my accuracy has gotten much better since uh, following a lot of these form tips and stuff. And I'm, I'm test, you know, trialing pretty much everything he's teaching. And uh, yeah, I'm basically just as much of a fan of his teaching as most of the people who watch our channel, That's awesome. which is cool. So yeah, I, I'm definitely that of David as well. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you guys find disc golf and how long ago was that? See, Mikey's got a great finding disc golf. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'll tell it real fast. So I, I was not a disc golf guy. I was an ultimate Frisbee guy. And I thought disc golf was a plague to <laughs> ultimate. I was like, these oh. fools. I'm like, why? Why? The people who can't play ultimate play disc golf and they're nerds and I hate them and they're wrecking my life. And so anyways, uh, that's an over-exaggeration. But basically, I just hated disc golf. I was like, this is the dumbest sport I've ever seen. And uh, I was teaching uh, at a summer camp. I was teaching tennis mainly, but we teach other classes. And uh, I was in charge of ultimate and disc golf. Well, uh, no one liked disc golf. I wasn't alone in this. No kid likes disc golf. And it's probably no help to me, honestly. Like, they all hate it because of me. I'm sure of it. Because I was so pumped about Ultimate. So disc golf class would come around. I'm like, all right, guys, welcome to disc golf class. Let's play some Ultimate. And they like, yeah, going crazy. And so one day or like one week, we had this term. Kids came in and it's like 13 to 18 year olds. I mean, these are like high schoolers. And this guy comes in with a bag full of discs. I'm like, this guy is about to ruin my <laughs> ultimate class. And I was like, all right, guys, welcome to disc golf class. Time to play some ultimate. And this guy, he's like, all right, you guys can do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw and play this little mini course or whatever. And I was like, oh, dude, I feel like I'm letting this guy down, not doing disc golf class. It's like, I can't believe this guy. Well, then I saw him throw. And as soon as I saw a disc fly further than anything I have ever thrown in my life, I was like, okay, I, don't, I still don't like disc golf, but how did you do that? <laughs> like, how did you just do that? And so he taught me to basically just like throw flat, control the angle. And literally ever since then, I was like, yeah, this is great. I love this sport. <laughs> That's so awesome. yeah, that's that's my story. That's awesome. <laughs> it just takes it just takes that one good throw in disc golf, or one like okay throw in disc golf to be like, oh, this is something. I yep. You can have you can have your first round. You can have you know seventy five bad experiences and the one good throw, and you're like, this game is something different. How about you, Josh? Agreed. Yeah. Well, just on that, I took my dad over Christmas to like this little nine-hole course, and uh, he threw 
on hole two, he threw his uh, first shot, and it was like over a hundred. It was like probably 120 feet away from the basket, and he throws his second shot in, and so he gets a birdie. <laughs> I think and the I most like, likely person to get a throw in is a noob. I just feel like it happens all. <laughs> oh, the time. for sure, right? Yeah. Sorry, go but ahead. But then it was like a little easier to get him to come to the course with me the next day. I was like, yes. So that was great. I just love those moments. It's like, yes, now that's he's got to awesome. be. And so he was just, and he threw it the next time he came, he threw another one in. Oh, that's like, sick. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Build beginner courses, people. They're yeah, amazing. They are mm-hmm. great. So, uh, yeah, I started disc golf. I was traveling. I spent a summer traveling with um, a band, a musician by the name of Matt Papa. Okay. And, uh, everywhere that they went and everywhere that they traveled to, they would find a disc golf course. Oh, cool. And they would play. Hmm. And so they ended up taking me, and uh, I don't know what my first disc was. I guess it was like a rock or something. It was a mid-range, and then I found a DX Beast. And so I spent that summer playing, and I was I didn't have any problem with what we talked about on Second Cup. Yeah. You know, if you're not if you're not a Patreon supporter of these guys, Second Cup is like this awesome podcast segment that happens before the one that we're talking in right now. So yeah, it's confusing. It's Second Cup, Patreon. but we record it first. Don't think about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's all. Awesome. Yeah, but it's bonus content. You guys are missing out if you're not signed up for that. But uh, how much were they paying us to say that? None. <laughs> yeah, we, we sent you the bag of coffee already. So <laughs> exactly, it was, yeah. it was prepay. <laughs> yeah so i had no issue with like what you were talking about of like expecting to you know being on losing teams i mean i guess i was on losing teams but i always was overly competitive to the point of being like brutally rude and so i got hooked pretty quick and i i just wanted to win and so i just played a bunch after that and so that's how i got started and then i just kept going with it i'm pretty got a pretty addictive personality so when i find something i latch on pretty hard i i may know how that is <laughs> a yeah. little bit <laughs> i try to drag david into everything i can uh, i have a fairly addictive <laughs> yeah. personality but josiah takes it to another level and i'm just like okay okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right chill out dude Come on. yeah obsession is uh, it's, often it's useful and problematic yes mm-hmm well, one thing I wanted to talk to you guys about is you guys have gotten to review a lot of form and you've gotten to, you know, compare that to a lot of form, meaning AMs, lower level open players to the Macbeths of the world. And I thought maybe you wanted to highlight, I'll give you three, it could be less or more than three, but three things you say, these are the most obvious things that I could just get tired of noticing. And if people would do them, they would be much happier with the results of their attempt to throw a Frisbee. Hmm. I don't really get tired of noticing them. I do. Um, That's good. But, uh, <laughs> but, but you yeah, get excited uh, that it's a simple thing. <laughs> yeah. Usually, what happens is I say it enough times, like that week, I say it in enough private lessons that it's like, okay, this is going to be our next video because <laughs> I've taught this seven times this week. Time to make a video and put myself out of business on that topic. Yeah. But I'll let Mikey go first, and he'll kind of spark some of my ideas here. Oh, for real? No, I was not <laughs> going to answer that. I, I love it. I have no Put, idea. No, Mikey's on the spot. What's, you <laughs> notice something, or you notice something that Josh notices often. You're doing the editing. You know what? I'll just do what I would notice, because I don't know what Josh notices. I mean, 
that's one thing. He's like, oh, yeah, you probably you could probably do form reviews. I'm like, not how you do them, bro. I, mean, <laughs> I think that's, I mean, no, I think that's true think most. Of, like, three important things. Yeah, so uh, first thing that comes to mind is nose angle. Like if you can just figure out Josh's video on like starting with the correct nose angle and working back from there and just holding that nose angle the whole time. I feel like that's super important and can basically fix a bunch of issues right off the bat. And um, and when you were talking about Macbeth and nose angle, what was he doing differently than you? Yeah. Uh, he kept his elbow up higher, and mm. I could just tell he was really focused on this straight line as opposed to me. I tend to keep my elbow. And it, not to say because Drew ke- keeps his elbow down low, and he pulls through kind of across like his uh, like abdomen area, like lower chest, abs. Sure. And, uh, but I had thought to myself, I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe if I really focus on keeping a straight line throughout my full throw, and I'm not going to tell you like that made my throw much better or not, but I just, that's one thing I'd noticed with Paul and something that he fixed just recently when, uh, he was having issues with like basically consistency and nose angle is he kept that elbow up higher and he was like, just reloading his wrist. Yeah, so he was like getting the nose angle figured out immediately as opposed to, I think he did a little bit of a briefcase and then flip over. Mm-hmm. He's like, let me just go ahead and get it in the right position and throw from there because he was having issues with his elbow. Um, but yeah, I, I can't speak too much to that with Paul's form uh, just because, again, it's not my area of expertise, but that no, video, a big one. you edited the um, and filmed the Champions Cup uh, video with Paul, right? Yes. That video is fantastic. If anybody is uh, listening to this podcast, pause it, go watch that video. I sent it to David, and I think it was like inspirational in some ways. Him talking about going par for the first nine and then going nine down. Um, yeah. But also, I think the fact that pros have to work on stuff technique-wise still. Now, obviously, that injury kind of spurred this, but it's it's yeah. kind of encouraging in some ways of like, okay, I'm not throwing well. That would yeah. never happen to Paul. No, Paul Paul experiences it sometimes. Absolutely, yeah, he's intuitive enough to be able to catch his mistakes most for the most part. But he was, I mean, he admitted to it. He was making a lot of errors for a long time due to that form change that he hadn't made. And as soon as he made it, he's like, oh, I wish I would have you know, played the full tournament with this form change because he said it immediately made a difference. Like, mm. as soon as he changed it before the round, he's like, I felt like I went from, you know, being able to hit 60% of his lines to, like, 90% of his lines. Or I forget the exact... You said 30 to 85 wow. is what you said. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Whatever <laughs> it was, it was significant, and that's all that matters. Yeah. So... Well, uh, Macbeth yeah. hitting his line is probably different than us hitting our lines, or at least David and I. I'll be is. like, I hit the twenty foot gap, I hit my line, and Macbeth is probably like, I hit the s- slightly to the right of where I meant to hit, and it was not quite nose down enough, and so I got to a twenty foot putt instead of the ten foot putt that I was expecting. Yep, I came away from uh, that Champions Cup. Uh, with just a really different mentality of how I do practice. And it's because I could get the disc, at least on that course. And we, you know, came to find out at Jonesboro that like distance does matter on some courses, but at least for <laughs> Champions Cup, 
you really needed 400 feet that you could hit very consistently. And that's really all you needed for distance. Uh, I didn't see really any big bombs mm -hmm. outside of those that gave them any sort of advantage. Uh, so I came away from that. I'm like, dude, I need to stop working on distance and start working on trying to hit my bag. Because uh, that's what Paul does when he goes and he does uh, his field work is he'll throw just pretty loose at a field. He'll throw his bag and then he throws those same shots where they landed back to his bag. And when I tell you he got within circle one on every single shot and also hit his bag a few times, every single throw without like one outlier, that <laughs> is the difference. That's why we're not scoring. I mean, that's a huge reason as to why we can't score as well as these pros Yeah, is accuracy. I feel like we focus so much on distance and uh, that, you know, it, form can help with accuracy too. That's one thing I feel like we need to at some point talk about. Oh, yeah, for sure. Repeatable form. Uh, and like, what's the easiest, most natural, repeatable form? And it's like, yeah, it can also help you get more distance, but you can also set yourself up to be able to throw good lines more of the time. So, yeah, I yeah. think I when guess I'm, that's the next segment. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, saying, yeah. yeah. That's, that's that is the next segment next for segment. sure. For sure. Yeah. Thanks, Josh, for keeping us on track. All right, Josh. <laughs> I'm All right, just Josh. trying to not ruin your outline. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. I, I have the outline to provide some structure so David and I don't just stare at each other and wonder what to talk about. What I want to hear Josh's three things because I just am curious. All right. You want me to go now or you had something you were saying? No, I want you to go now. Um... Uh, three things. So if you look at, so I feel like big one is coiling, like unit turn, upper body, like rotating the disc back. Like if you can keep your body spacing and do it the same every time we get into that more consistent thing versus it's really easy to start muscling a disc. I don't think this is mm -hmm. news to anyone. Mm -hmm. But that's why I kind of, you know, made a shtick about the no reach back thing in the beginning was because in tennis it's like super important. And you know, do I use the term reach back? Yeah, I, I'll use it, especially, you know, depending on who I'm talking to and sometimes it's just easier to say. Yep. But uh it's like really understanding how to coil your upper body allows you to swing properly, which is huge because it's everything. The whole, the throw is a swing. Yeah. So. That, that was a major thing in my form that impacted me significantly. I think it was Eagle put out a video talking, it's not a reach back, but a reach out. And I was dealing with a lot of shoulder pain consistently. And I was just reaching back and just trying to yank through super hard. And the moment that I yeah. started focusing on just reaching out, I played baseball and it felt so much more natural. Like I'm just swinging mm -hmm. as opposed to trying to, I'm working so hard to get my arm through. And so, yeah, that was a huge thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. The reach out is a, you know, nice way to create space. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, which is huge. Cause if you get that disc behind your body and the disc has to go through your body, you, I don't care what you do with the rest of your form. You're not throwing a disc. Well, yeah. Yeah, I think the collapsing the shoulder thing is just almost 
it, it's so frustrating because when you know you shouldn't do it and you keep doing it, it's annoying, but it does make mm-hmm. such a big difference when you don't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like that oftentimes is a result of poor coiling. Mm-hmm. Yep. But not always. So th- there's that. And then there's, um, footwork is obviously huge. You know, just getting in a position where you can understand kind of how your hips are swinging and how your lower body's moving. Yeah. Um, yeah, because of course you're putting energy into the disc from the ground. We have no choice as creatures of gravity. And it's just like, how much can we actually use? Creatures of gravity. <laughs> uh, I feel like that would be a fantastic album, album name. I was thinking t-shirt, so we're similar mindsets. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. All, yeah. <laughs> Creatures of gravity. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so footwork, of course. I mean, is there one footwork thing? Uh, I mean, I feel like if you just, if you worked on the swing of the hips, I'm finding that a lot of foot, footwork issues can be solved by like, if you just go up, up, down, shift, up. So hip up with your step before your X step. This is the forward hip? This is forward hip? Right. Yeah, yeah. For a right forward hand thrower, your right hand, right hip? Yeah, yeah, your lead hip. Yep. Your lead hip. Yeah, yeah. So if you're, you know, you're going into your steps, if you just go, your lead hip is up before the step before your X step, and then you keep it up during your X step, that'll solve a lot of your issues. You won't turn around backwards if you do that. Yeah, that makes um, sense. And then you load your hip down, and so you swing your hip down and back, and then you weight shift. And then you swing your hip up again. Mm-hmm. Like you can draw just a lot of kind of natural power that way. Does anyone else, when Josh said, okay, what'd you say? Up, down, up, shift, up. <laughs> up, up, down, shift. Up, 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 down, shift, up. I literally, I was like, cheat codes, right? Yeah, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. Yeah. Yeah. Golden eye cheat codes. Dude, I was like, bro, I want to try that in like my Pokemon game or something. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I think if you focus on that, you'll solve a bunch of footwork issues. Not all of them, certainly. Um, and then loose. Oh, dude. Loose should be number one. Mm-hmm. So that list was in no particular order. But there's form stuff, form problems. It's like most of the form issues. And the thing is, is people looking for form advice aren't intuitive people. Mm-hmm. Right? What? Savage. Keep going. <laughs> Like they can't, they don't understand and they can't listen to what their body's doing. They're not like, oh yeah, I'm doing this. Like when Paul's like, oh, like nobody knows without looking at video that, you know, their swing plane is not leveling. <coughs> Still not. Right <laughs> Just keep going. Did Dakota put some cayenne pepper in there for you? Oh <laughs> uh, no, everything's fine. <laughs> Kids, don't don't breathe coffee. Just drink it. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! It's all you. Uh, yeah. So being loose really solves a bunch of problems. And there is a such thing as too loose, but it's one out of every two hundred cases. It's like okay, and people worry too much about like I, I got a question today in the in the live stream. When you do this, are you tensing your right? I'm like, dude, I'm not tensing anything. Like, I don't think about muscle groups. Look at me. (laughs) (laughs) 
like, I don't know what my core is doing. I mean, I know I'm coiling, right? And I got a unit turn, but I'm not like flex my abductors. <laughs> like, obviously, uh, it's awesome. like, just be loose. Yep. And people don't spend enough time there understanding that your body is not, you know, machine parts. Mm-hmm. It's a fluid it's a fluid thing. Your muscles is a bunch of fibers, right? More of a rope. And then you've got all these things that are, so it's all held together, you know, fairly loosely. And the more you can do the motion while being loose, the better off you're going to be because mm-hmm. your body's so smart. Like you don't have to think about walking. Your body just takes care of that. And when you go to grip a container, like your fingers and your hands just grab where they need to grab. You don't have to think like, oh, am I tensing my like <laughs> the muscle bet- below my middle knuckle? Yep. Like whatever that is, I don't have to know the name of that. I don't have to know what it's doing. I just grab the whatever the thing is. Yep. And it's like we get so hung up on which muscle groups and blah. It's like athletes don't do that. It's well, very rare to be like, oh yeah, unless you're a deadlifter. Or a rock climber where you need to be tense in certain spots to make sure that you're not tearing stuff it, then no just be loose is like the number one form thing if well, i just and i think if, that's why people struggle so often or at least i did a lot in tournaments of feeling like everything's different if you throw yeah. somewhat loosely in, in a casual round of field work and then you get like really nervous or really excited and you just like everything all of a sudden is all, all your muscles are flexing, you just are going to have these, like, oh, you're, this isn't going to fly normally. Your putt isn't going to go where it should. I feel like that's mm-hmm. just, uh, it seems like it happens a lot. Yeah, it's, I'm throwing 50 feet shorter in tournaments. Yep. Well, no wonder why. Yep. There's, like, way more pressure. Your body's, like, you're having birth contractions. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, like- yeah. <laughs> Uh, Disc Golf Strong, Seth, Seth Muncy said, like, the w- number one thing you'd have somebody work on for flexibility would be breathing and, like, mm. breathing, like, belly breathing. And I feel like that's one thing that's helped me is just, like, just breathe, dude. Just breathe. Like, just relax and breathe. And and if you're going to focus on anything besides the target, focus on being relaxed and smooth and let the disc, mm-hmm. let your body throw the disc. Yeah. Yeah, breathing's one of those things. It's like we talk about in tennis. Not talk about that much in disc golf, but it's like, dude, mm. are you like holding your breath, bro? What's the deal? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I am. Am I supposed <laughs> to breathe? Uh, what do you think? What is your body telling you right now? Like, yes, you should breathe. Well, I don't know. Sometimes it's not intuitive. <laughs> I remember I, sometimes you have to like actually teach yourself to breathe yeah. when you're doing stuff. Like definitely when I work out, I, I'm like doing push-ups, I don't breathe. So I have to like tell myself to. Yeah. It's dude, funny. one thing. One thing we should definitely bring over to disc golf, grunting. <laughs> I know. I know. We should, right? Dude. There's no way that doesn't help. Have you seen, oh, have you seen, Rob, help. Have you seen Robbie Ray for the Seattle Mariners? For no, pitching? No. Oh, he, he grunts. Does he grunt? He grunts on every single pitch. Oh, yes. Every pitch he grunts. And he wears super up. tight pants. So he just, and a super uh, he tight shirt know what's up, and a super tight shirt. So he just looks super intense on the mound. It's just, it's pretty intense to watch. Yeah. It's fun. But, but then we're going to have to have the lunk alert, like button at the disc golf course when somebody's grunting uh, a little too much during their drives and you're like, all right, you're making everybody uncomfortable. So I feel like there is taller. Yeah. <laughs> it would, I mean, did you see David Wiggins? 
at the reserve, those two in that practice round. I didn't get to watch it. Oh, dude. So 1,280-foot hole. He's there in two shots. <laughs> Jeez. Pin high in two shots. Oh, my god! And he goes, ah, every time he does yeah. his 360. And he grunts. It's like, that's an athletic thing. Your body, like breathing out, is a loose thing. Yeah. I believe like it. Like tennis. I'm, tr- I'm trying it in the next field work session. I know. You go, <laughs> tennis, you go, ah, right? It's funny yeah. that you talk about so breathing. It's talking about yeah. breathing. For me, I've always been a forehand player, and I that's something that I just don't think about. And I've recently started incorporating backhand. Josiah's really been helping working on my backhand. But uh, I just recently in this tournament season have been incorporating it more in my tournaments. And the major thing early on that I was doing, I think that I didn't realize it. I think I was kind of like not really focusing on my breathing or not allowing myself to breathe. It was getting to the point to where every single hole that I want, I needed to crush a drive a certain distance with my backhand to get to a place, um, I would baby it every single time because I think I was just tensing up so much that I would just mm. hyzer out early and lose all my power because my hips would have no, I would not be using my hips at all. And I think I just focused so much on my hips that I wasn't thinking about breathing. <laughs> so I don't know. It, so, you guys talking right now just made me think about that. So just as a bonus tip <laughs> from the episode, Breathe. Breathe. <laughs> yeah, Breathe. bonus. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, just we started talking about it earlier, but I thought we could talk a little bit about how much does form matter to score? And I think that this is a could be a half-hour conversation or longer. And it's but to and just kind of briefly, what do you guys think? Because obviously form matters, and you guys were just talking about for accuracy as well. It matters. And I've definitely have experienced that. But I also think that if you, I mean, my guess is, and I haven't looked at this, if you have a YouTube video about distance or a YouTube video about mental game, what, what's, the, what's the difference in views? Oh, distance. If we made the distance video, it'd probably be our best video. Yeah. Out, out there. We intentionally don't do like clickbaity titles. Mm-hmm. We do like what we feel our audience needs or what my lessons and my students need. So, but if we did that one, that one would get a ton of views. And the mental one, I, I mean, you can scroll through, but they're going to get not a lot. Five to 10,000. Yeah. <laughs> which is a lot. Which is a lot. But not compared to like. But not when you have a 30,000 yeah. person subscription, 29,000 person subscription base. Mm-hmm. What do you want from me, dude? Oh, he wants Sarah. You're giving me that dog. Come here, <laughs> Mommy's home. <laughs> yeah, so it's not a lot. And we're Go transitioning get her. to, Go get her. you know, doing some of both right now, especially since we have Timmy with us. We can kind of do both, you know, while not abandoning our, our form stuff. But the mental is so huge. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I've really want. enjoyed. I've really enjoyed it. I think it's been it's been fun to hear another voice on that side of the game because there's not that much out there, really. Yeah, but there's so much that goes into it. Yeah, it's gonna it, it's gonna flip at some point. People are gonna start nailing down form and stuff. They're gonna be like, oh, I'm still not. Why am I not scoring better? Or you know, why am I still losing in tournaments? And then at some point, it's going to be a lot of focus will be mental game for the advanced players. Yeah. Specifically, mm-hmm. I mean that's the way it is in tennis. Like you work on form, 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 and then it's all mental game. And then you just try to keep up your form, right? Make sure that you're not regressing. 
but at some point it becomes all mental. And so, you know, it's just at some point people are going to realize mental game is way more important than they are treating it right now. But mm -hmm. it's again, it's for advanced players and it's just another wave of teaching that is going to pick up speed later on. I think Robbie, Robbie C is doing a great job with, yeah. you know, mental game and tips and, you know, I, I, maybe the wave's already here when it comes to that because I feel like he's doing a bunch of, like, tips and mental game things and people are enjoying it. So, yeah. uh... No, he's great. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. I definitely well, I appreciate Robbie. him for sure. And yeah, it, I feel awesome. like the production quality and is just, you know, gotten better as he's gone. Hasn't so it gotten so much better? I keep texting him, like, dude, every video you're putting out is getting so much better. Like, yeah. this is coming from a videographer's point of view and, like, the pacing's great. Yeah. I just told him, like, dude, you're feeding my ADHD, and I love it. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I still owe a um, the grind intro video. I <laughs> I was chatting with Josh. I'm working towards it, but I editing is just such a slow process when you're not good at it that I'm always like, I don't know. It takes takes me like 40 hours to edit a one or like a 10 minute video. So. Especially when you put music, we all in the start there, room. and it <laughs> takes like a couple of years to get out of it. So yeah, yeah. So I guess we could kind of talk through. I I really enjoyed the beginning of the conversation about how good form can lead to accuracy, and I thought maybe we could just marinate on that for a minute because I feel like that's good content and a good thing for me to think about in my own game. I I think that the reach back is one of the main reasons that people are terrible at throwing straight. Because they really they can't they can't throw straight when they have that much rounding. They have to throw something that has a lot of movement to it. And I think just being able to throw like nose down and, and like a fairly flat earth baby hyzer angle and not have that huge rounding situation going on makes such a big difference to accuracy. On you know, I mean I, I say flat because that's my shot. I mean David would say spike hyzer, but <laughs> but I, I think for me at least, I think that when I'm throwing the furthest, I'm also hitting my lines the most consistently. And I think that's because I'm trying less hard. I'm tensing less, I'm rounding less, and I'm going slower until the very end of the shot. And so it's just kind of funny because it means that when my game's off, that means that I both am throwing 30 feet shorter and I'm not hitting my lines. So that's kind of frustrating. Something that devastated my game when I got into the sport, and I didn't realize it for a long time, but I could never get a consistent line just accuracy-wise, was when someone told me to reach back, I instinctively looked back as well. Mm -hmm. I would look straight behind me, and I think that's a very normal thing for you to do. When someone tells you to reach back, you're like, okay, reach back. So now I'm going to make sure I reach back so your head goes away from the target and you start getting you're almost dependent on that head going away from the target for your form. And when Josh came out with the video talking about like, keep your head forward as long as you can, and then just let your shoulders turn. That was crazy helpful. I mean, wildly helpful for my form and also the, you know, keep the disc in place away from your body. That was really important. But again, me physically turning my head back as I reached back was was one of the worst things I could have done for my accuracy. Yeah. Definitely some distance there too that I was missing out on, but 
Well, I feel like I Macbeth is such a good. It, which is... Sorry, go ahead. I just said I was gonna think Macbeth is such a good example of that because he's like peeking as much as he can. Like he, the head is the last thing to turn, and yep. it's kind of reluctant to do so. And I think that you know he throws so smoothly and consistently. Uh, but I think even when he's throwing like a 300 foot shot, his head basically doesn't turn because he's, he only does it when he needs to. It's, it's totally different than what you're describing, which I think a lot of people do, which is like awkward for the person at the back of the box when you make like long eye contact. <laughs> Yo, that's hilarious. It, like they don't know where to, st- I, I saw people, I've done that where <laughs> I saw the people behind me or somebody's like, or you're at a tournament and somebody's like. Can you not stand right behind the box? <laughs> and I'm like, what do you, where do you want me to stand, bro? You want me to stand in front of you? Cause so you won't look at me? Like, what's the deal? Yeah, at my last tournament, there was a guy. He had some good, like, 400 plus foot shots, but I was always like, right after him. Uh, he was he was the person leading the card on most of the shots, and I just started to get uncomfortable. I was like, you're looking back here a really long time. Like this level of eye contact is more than I'd even have with like a good friend. And I don't even know you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, we're, we're pushing pretty long here. So you guys want to hop into a disc review? Sure. Did you want... Um... Yes. Okay. So form sets your ceiling, right? You want something that's repeatable for consistency, right? You've got, you've got not only what level of shot can you execute, like if you can hit 450, that's a whole different ceiling than somebody who can hit 350, right? And then there's form that just informs your consistency. And like, if you can hit 350 through this 10 foot gap on an Anheuser nine out of 10 times, and the other guy only hits it two out of 10 times, well, there are form pieces that can inform whether or not you do that. So like form, a swing path, the out-in-out out swing path, if you get your consistent release point in front of you, you have to learn that release point. And if you learn that release point, all you have to do is learn how to where that disc is going to come out. So you find out what's a powerful you know, body position and what your body looks like at a powerful release. And then it's like, oh... Well, if that's always the same and you miss the gap five feet to the left, well, now you just aim more right. Mm-hmm. And then eventually you learn what that's like. But if your release point, if you have a form piece that's changing where your release point is every time, you're never going to learn. You're never going to be consistent. You'll have one tournament that is on and then the next three will be off. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I couldn't miss because your body like synced up with that you know, weird release point one time. Um, and it just so happened to be for a tournament this time. But, uh, so being consistent with your form, like form is, helps the repeatability and helps raise the skill ceiling for you. doesn't mean that you're going to reach that ceiling, but it gives you more potential. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if you reach straight down or, you know, disco dance with your reach back upwards, you're just not going to have the potential to throw 500. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But if or, gets or, back throw, there, or throw a putter 350. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's that. And then there's the whole disc selection thing. If you throw further, now you can throw more consistent shots at mm-hmm. shorter distances. So you can throw hyzers if the hole's 300 feet. And you have 350 feet worth of distance. Now you can throw a hyzer there, which mm-hmm. is an intrinsically 
safer shot percentage-wise because you're only controlling power versus an Anheuser shot there. So now you get to throw the safer, the higher percentage play. Yeah. So basically, it works on those two things, the consistency yeah. and the ceiling. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. I feel like uh, probably I would assume in tennis and other sports, that is typically like, like the rules of the game are taught, like how you play it, and then technique, and then mental game strategy, that sort of thing. Is that the normal like path? If you said like, I'm taking a six year old and I'm teaching them to, or I'm I'm getting somebody ready to play competition or whatever those things are. Mm-hmm. It depends on the age group. Mm-hmm. So you teach six year old very different than you teach a sixty year old getting yeah. into the game, yeah. right? A six year old and stuff like that. If the parents are like, okay, maybe we want them to do something, it's better to start teaching, you know, kind of form to some extent there, even if it's just broad brush strokes, like racket low, here's top spin and finish over the shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. And then let them figure things out. The older they get, the more you might start with pre-existing skill sets. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're a marathon runner. So first thing I'm going to do in our lessons is I'm going to work on just teaching you how to move to the ball. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if you poke the thing over, but you're going to get to every ball. And we're going to show you how to move properly because obviously they're a good mover. Mm. right? And you build off of the strength that they already have. And yep. you do that with kids to an extent, but kids are much more malleable and it like doesn't really matter. They're mm-hmm. going to learn form no matter what. Mm-hmm. So you, you're basically giving them a skill to help them survive and then they build the weaknesses as they go. I mean, it, it's yeah. just super interesting to me. Yeah, the first thing you want, and I treat everything like this, especially adults, disc golf is the same way. Like if I had a brand new player and I'm going to talk to them and I'm going to say, okay, this is a 25-year-old, 35-year-old, whoever. I'm going to say, okay, do you play other sports growing up? What do you do? Like what's the deal? And they're like, uh, I played baseball coming up. Baseball, okay, cool. As a kid, so I'm going to look at the forehand first. I'm going to look at tomahawks and thumbers. And I'm going to try those first. And I'm going to see, like, oh, did you switch it? No, I didn't switch it. Okay, so we're going to stay on that side. And yeah. we're going to go down a list of what I think, based on their pre-existing skill set, would naturally be stronger. Yeah, that's cool. And then I'm going to find something that, even though they're a beginner skill set, they're going to have an area that's elevated above the other ones. And so if I find that a baseball player, they come out and they throw a 350-foot tomahawk, I want to know that before I start working on backhand form because I want them to go to a course and have a shot that they can build a strength on because that's way more confident building for them. It means that they're going to be competitive right away and I want them to be able to go out and be competitive because there's stuff to be learned in competition and they can learn how to win with a 350 foot Tommy. Yeah, that's, that's, I I love that perspective. I don't think I've thought through that at all. So that makes Makes total sense. Yeah. But with a kid, I'm not starting with a tomahawk. <laughs> Six-year-old, never going to happen, probably. Their shoulder isn't developed, stuff like that. Maybe yep. I would start teaching them a little bit, and we might toss ball around or something like that. But uh, And just to start developing the overhand motion, because I think one day they might need it. Or, okay, we'll start developing some forehand, but I don't want them doing too many reps. I don't want them like, hurting anything. But... With an adult, I'm going to find the strength first. And with a kid, I'm going to build 
the player that I I'm going to build the skill set that I think they need to compete while taking those more in like taking those less into account like what are they good at now doesn't matter they're six (laughs) they have time to get better yeah that's super interesting yeah that's fascinating for sure because i think i mean i'd mentioned that i was a baseball player and i i hated disc golf at first playing backhand because i felt like i could i literally could throw a disc maybe 200 feet backhand no idea what i was doing the moment that my brother was throwing forehand and he was getting much more distance, the moment that I realized that I can throw a forehand and get 300 feet, that's when I started getting hooked on disc golf. I was like, oh, I can get something. And it was just a natural movement for me. And backhand took a long time for me to figure out. And I even, I switch hit as a kid, but it still took a long time for me to figure out. Yeah, well, he's got to figure it out now, so. <laughs> Not fully. <laughs> I, I'm st- I still need to get more distance. <laughs> it, it, you can't help it. We all want it. Uh, and honestly, I think that when I'm throwing, like I said, when I'm throwing the furthest, I feel like the rest of the game feels a little easier because yeah. I'm probably going to hit my mm-hmm. lines and yeah. I know what discs to throw and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, it's way easier to take the first available tree on a backhand hole for David if he knows that the next hole is a forehand yeah oh yeah right it's it's just way easier but if you don't know you have a forehand and nobody told you oh you got a 300 foot forehand by the way where would he be yeah yeah crying yeah Yeah. well i don't i don't (laughs) think that he would be on this podcast right now if i had tried to force him to throw backhand the whole time because he got better than me or as good as me very fast it was annoying but that spike heiser forehand uh, it's annoying but it's he he can put it he can he can make the angle decision of hey do i want this to fall on its back and have no skip or do i want to have like the precise skip i need and so hmm. it looks like the same angle to me but then he's like then i'm like oh that's gonna skip way right 60 right or whatever and it it backs up into the basket and i'm like david this is we should need, we need to play more wooded courses this is not okay <laughs> It's funny, Josiah, Josiah is the one that's introduced to me throughout the game, has slowly introduced to me different discs. And I started out with understable discs. I was throwing an Archon all the time forehand. And then eventually that became too understable for how I was throwing. And I moved to the Wraith. And then Josiah handed me a Firebird one day and a flat top Firebird. And then he handed me a Zone. And what's funny is all all of my aces, it was a mistake. It all was of a my mistake. aces and all of my consistency is revolved around the zone and the Firebird. So thanks to <laughs> Josiah for yeah. the introductions along the way. <laughs> yeah, David every has more Firebird aces. What? So every forehand player needs his zone. Yeah, for I'm sure. I'm convinced of it. Not this uh. guy. <laughs> That's true. Uh. Well. All right. You want to talk about the sale? Yes. So we have Let's the DGA it. sale, which is an 11 speed five glide negative five turn and one fade they 11 speed would be a distance driver i'm not convinced but uh it goes far but uh david we'll start with you i'll pivot and then we'll talk to the experts who've been throwing it more than us but david what do you think about the sale dude it's fun i've thrown nothing like it before to be honest with you i think i just mentioned i've been pretty obsessed with overstable discs in my game and uh probably the closest thing to this that i've thrown is a roadrunner the first thing that I noticed, uh, I, we, Josiah and I were actually having a, we have a book club on uh, Wednesday nights with a buddy, and Josiah brought the sale to pass it off to me, and I was playing with it while we were talking. It's like, dude, it says 11 speed. This feels like an 8 speed rim. 
Uh, yeah. It feels completely different in your hand than it would picking up a Wraith or an Archon. Um, but uh, I love the hand feel. It feels more like an Essence, like an 8-speed or something in my hand. And so it feels really natural for me because I think the backhand's still getting used to throwing the higher speed discs. I throw a Wraith to get some consistency for distance at 350, um, but well, it still doesn't feel as natural. You throw the natural. Wraith at least 350. Yeah, 350 Nathan consistency. Queen yeah. specifically. Yeah. Um, but uh, it still doesn't feel as natural. This feels super natural in my hand. Uh, so for an 11 speed, it just feels really good. Uh, man, it just starts turning. Just starts turning. I think that the negative five is very real. I was telling Josiah, I I've always wanted to mess around with rollers. I've ne- I've mm. never had. I feel like I don't have the concept enough built in my head to real. And we don't really have the space here on our courses to our, actually work on our rollers. local courses in Colorado. We are by the river, so they're not like a crazy amount of elevation change. But there's just like rocks and roots and yeah. bushes everywhere. There's not really like very many roller holes but this would be a very fantastic roller disc for beginner rollers i feel like because i can get this thing to turn onto a roller fairly quickly i think this is it's a i think part of it's a it's a 158 is that what the grand yeah something like that josh told josh told me to get something in the 150s so we got a 157 or 158 pro line this thing's awesome (laughs) yeah so i can flip it super easy which i loved and so yeah, I think it, it's a fun disc to keep messing around. I think for for beginners, if you're wanting to learn different shots, it's fantastic because if you're wanting to really understand the concept of understability, um, which for me at the beginning was really hard to pick up on the different concepts, this is definitely a disc that will really help you build that concept in your head. Yeah, I liked it too. I it's the first time I threw it, I threw it like maybe seventy percent power on a hyzer, and I just saw it make this like gentle but strong right hand turn that basically didn't end and i was like this could be useful this could be fun uh and i i really liked it we we live at about 4500 feet elevation and we play some courses occasionally they're at 9000 feet and so a lot of times you can't find a disc that will finish right if you're on a right hand backhand you'll find something that will flip over pretty early but the fade, the fade up here just always kicks in, which is sometimes helpful. Uh, but sometimes it's frustrating. We've got a position at our local course that's like probably like 360, 70. Uh, hole, hole two, two, Watson. Yeah, probably around 360. And it's like way right. Like it's, it's 370 forward and then like 150 to 200 feet right. And even David with his ridiculous forehand, for an am, he's got a very powerful forehand. It's hard to get that far right. Yes, getting that far right is extremely difficult with the forehand. I think I still have, like, on my best forehand, a 40-foot putt. Yeah, and I've gotten to the hole a few times with a nice crosswind, but this disc was, like, no no crosswind required. You could get that movement, uh, that far right movement on a right-hand backhand, uh, like, easily. Like, mm-hmm. it wanted to, quote-unquote, sail. It just wanted to move left and right. So I, I liked it. I thought it was fun. I... I'm curious what you guys for a higher weight or um, as they beat in. But for me, it was really fun. I think that it threw me off a little bit when it said 11 speed and it's not. I don't DGA get your act together. But it's got a ton of glide, a ton of glide, a ton of turn. And the hand feels great. I had never thought about trying a sail. I'm curious why Katrina has this and the Vortex because they seem 
pretty similar to me. I don't know if you guys have thrown a vortex, but it's also pretty pretty flippy. But I liked it. I think it would be a, a disc that I would have in my bag for like extreme tailwinds as well. Because when you have like a 30 mile an hour tailwind, sometimes it's hard to get any disc to get any turn. And right. I think this one would just bomb in the right tailwind. So I liked it a lot. You guys, do you guys, uh, I'm assuming you guys liked it since you suggested. Do you both like it? Do you both throw it? Uh, so I got it from Tyler Brickley. And oh, nice. The legend. Uh, he gave me like, I threw some DGA stuff. I was like, oh try it out see how it feels and it felt very similar to discraft which is what i typically use which makes sense because i think they've got like the same manufacturer same plastics and stuff um but yeah the sale was the one that stuck out to me as like the most unique because of the flippiness i threw it i'm like dude i got that thing high and it's still turning right but i will say the way you guys are explaining your sale it sounds like it's more flippy than ours and I don't know. Did you get the same feeling? Like it's flippy and it'll continue going right, but I feel like theirs must just be like. Well, I would say it depends on nose angle for me. Well, for you, it yeah, yeah. On nose but angle. no, yeah. if I throw it like no end and I get the nose down, it's definitely coasting right. It's right. not coming out. But I wouldn't think of that at altitude though. At forty five hundred yeah. feet, I wouldn't think that. Yeah, yeah my guess that's is that same throw would have a little bit of fade for you at elevation. It would it would do the, the early flight would be similar and then you just see it when it slowed down really really fade mm -hmm. I think that thin air yeah but the same thing I, I throw essence as well so it's kind of similar yeah but I would consider uh, I didn't realize that they called it a distance driver I would call it a flippy fairway mm -hmm. so, yeah yep. so interestingly yeah. enough I talked to uh, Azim from trydiscs.com okay and he's got like all the metrics on there yep. And the diameter, because I was telling, I was like, dude, this is like a, it felt like an eight or nine speed. And I didn't know until like way after I'd done a kajillion throws with it, that it says 11 speed on it. Yeah. Because it, the metric is 1.9 diameter rim. Right. So it's actually an eight or a nine speed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. But it goes just as far as an 11 speed. So I it's like, the they can, they can put speed on there for marketing purposes and change that and like companies aren't doing speed based on diameter even yeah. though that's probably what speed should be rated as i agree not like how far it goes <laughs> um but i agree with 11 speed in terms of how far it goes but yeah. i don't agree with 11 speed based off of diameter yeah so which which i, I honestly think driver, is i think it's a benefit like i think a, a a nine speed really flippy fairway driver to me is more useful than an 11 or 12 speed yeah right yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's like the essence. It's like, dang, this thing just goes so far. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why does it do that? I don't know, but it, it goes further than my driver, so I'd rather have that reaction. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, our buddy um, Ryan for, Wilking throws essences. It's ridiculous. Like, just <laughs> under just under five bills, like the most buttery throw. I, I got to post a video of him throwing an essence because it's just... They just go so far, I think, for everybody. But for somebody who's got, like, smooth power, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's nice. Um, yeah, the sale comes out for me. Um, if I do a form work or I'm, like, doing form changes, my nose angle will go to crap. Mm. And so in that case, like, the sale is especially helpful. That makes total sense. Because uh, it will pop, like, if I'm throwing 400 feet of power but my nose angle is crap, it'll go you know, 400, and it'll like slightly flip up 
and can still kind of reliably come out of it. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. as reliable as a negative five can come out of something. But yeah, I think it's kind of that nice sweet spot for uh, you know tailwind, or you need something to go really far right and not come back, and you yep. don't really care about it, or a big sky anhyzer that turns into a roller, or mm-hmm. you know. No, I like the I like the nose angle thought with a like a nine speed because I think a lot of times we say, hey, when you're working on form, use a putter, but the putter mm-hmm. can take as much nose up as you can give it. I mean, re- I mean, not right. maybe not as much, but. It doesn't. It's not too affected compared to something like this or a higher speed. So that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if like you've got 450 feet of power and you're like, okay, this disc is just unusable for me. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if like you didn't bag it. But under that, I think the 300 foot to 350 foot range, where you got nose up problems or whatever, it's like you should probably give this a try. For the record, I do throw. I have thrown 498. So just a couple yeah. shy of 500. Uh, I'm sure. And I'm sure whatever measurement you device you were using was a little off calibration. <laughs> yeah, no, it was not. But uh, I would still bag at least one disc like the sail, mm-hmm. which is what I currently have. So mm-hmm. um, that something you can throw on hyzer for me. I throw it straight hyzer, and it'll finish right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and it won't turn into a roller right. for me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I like that New London shot. Yep. I hit this like miracle shot with this thing. It was like hyzer flip and it had to be a backhand, like hyzer flip and turns and just like turns. And does and then, not come out. Yep. It's like, it's just a great disc. Yep. So that's, and I wanted you guys to try it in a lighter weight because it's such a good disc, even at a lighter weight. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think it's got a little bit of integrity to it, but it's, it's an interesting integrity because I feel like it's a slow flip. I think sometimes you get a disc that's really flippy but it's it's mm-hmm. fl- because it doesn't have the glide that this does. It's flippy so early; it's hard to really get like feel like you can rely on it. And I feel like this one, mm-hmm. it was it is very flippy, but it it wants to come up and glide over. And I feel like that's pretty nice because you can give it that height. I mean, basically, anytime Katrina Allen throws these super high hyzer flips that finish basically straight or a little bit left, I I feel like that's the kind of shot that even a you know a higher powered player could could still enjoy with this we played it's a utility disc for sure yeah we played the fort and uh at ogden where they played worlds and i have a mint disc free tail which is kind of similar and i was i was like oh these katrina allen lines make total sense like these really towering hyzer flips with this ridiculously flippy disc are super useful in this tight wooded course where there's a little bit more room higher up mm-hmm well, you guys want to get into a rating? Oh, yes. Rating. What? Oh, I'll you explain it. Don't worry. Oh, so, rate the disc? We're going to rate the disc. So this is how it goes. We're going to each give it a score of 1 to 5. Normally, we David and I sum our scores to 10, but we'll just do the math to make it out of 10. But a 1 is it's just not that great of a disc. 2 is it's an okay disc, but it doesn't. there's better options out there. 3 is it's a good disc, but it doesn't stand out. Four is, it's fantastic, but it's not going to make my bag. And five is, it's going in the bag. And so, David, we'll start with you, pivot to me, and then to Mikey and Josh. What's your rating? I'm going with a four. It's not going in the bag now. I liked it in the sense that, again, like I said, I haven't thrown anything like it. And I feel like there's um, a lot that I can mess around with it and learn some new shots. I was talking about trying to learn a roller. Um, I've messed around with a few discs before, and I wasn't able to get anything with a roller because I just can't get it to turn over for me. 
Um, but I think this and this weight would help me out doing that. Um, so it's one that I want to mess with for sure. I could see it ending up in the bag at some point just because of how unique it is um, for me. But uh, yeah, give it a four. Yeah. I think I'm going to give it a four as well. I could easily see this in my bag. And I think in some ways, I throw the free tail. I don't know if you guys have messed with that before, but it's it's very similar stability and similar flight. But I think the the lighter weight, at least sail, had a little bit, even a little bit more glide and even a little bit more flip than the free tail. And so I could definitely see stashing it away and bringing it out for a certain hole or on a windy day because I think everybody talks about headwind being a problem. But for me, sometimes tailwind is just as much of an issue, especially when you're trying to keep the disc straight or to get a flex flight out of it. So I, I liked it a lot. It's not going to my bag today. Uh, but you know, if Tyler Brinkley's listening and he sends us a sack of sales, it, <laughs> I could be bought. It's a good disc. How about you guys? Yeah. Well, I'm a five. And we actually just today talked to Tyler, and we're gonna do some overthrow sales. Oh, sick! Yep. Oh, sick. so so we'll yeah, we'll keep it yeah, on the I'm list. Yeah, I'm fine with it. It comes out when I'm got like really uphill, or tailwind, or I just feel like crap with my nose angle. Yep. And I just need a safety blanket there. Then, uh, and it's it's in the bag for that reason. Yeah, I think this would be a fantastic mountain golf disc where you're dealing with the high elevation, mm. you got a lot of uphill throws, and your discs are much more stable. I feel like it'd be a fantastic mountain golf disc. Sorry, Mikey, what were you going to say? Uh, so, it, funny enough, I'd say five. I don't have it in my bag right now because Josh has mine. <laughs> uh, but the, I do have other discs that I have tried to replace it with that uh, I think one gets really close to it, but... For me, that was the disc that got me into, okay, I need a bag, but at least one disc like the sale. So yeah. it's five for me just because in the same way, I've got really a really overstable driver in my bag because of utility. It's the same thing with that one. There's just a couple holes where it's like if I, if I want to put a move on a hole where it's a late, late, late finish to the right where I'm trying to get distance, there's just not another disc i could throw that i know is not going to come out of it mm -hmm. so uh yeah i'd say for sure i gotta at least have one in my bag yeah, yeah. No, that makes total sense well that's a nine out of ten a great score for a great disc if you want to order these before the overthrow version comes out and try them out you can order them from 1010disc.com we want to thank them for sending us this sale to check out you can use the promo code the grind five to get five percent off your order and eventually Overthrow is going to have some. I'm pretty excited about those. We might have to order a couple. So yeah. uh, be on the lookout for those. And that's the majority of our episode. But first, I thought it'd be fun. Josh and Mikey, you're on a doubles team in a theoretical situation. How is that going to work out? Who are you going to trust for the big, the big distance, the tight, the tight lines? How's, how's that going to go? Mikey is the putter. So if... Uh if there's death behind the basket, I'm gonna let Mikey run it first, and then I'll lay up if he goes crazy. <laughs> um, he's also the gonna go for big distance. Yeah, Josh and I like when it comes down to actual right now off the tee, we're gonna have very similar tee shots. But if we're out in the field, I'm throwing further. But I'm we've we have played doubles before. And have found out that, you know, 
Josh is very frequently our T and upshot. <laughs> and, uh, and I can I can close with a with a good putt. So who knows? Uh, nice. You know, I think we, we would make a good doubles team now. Yeah, because yeah. we we've both grown in several areas. So yeah, well, I feel like I mean, you guys just working with other people and practicing the stuff you preach. It's pretty fun because you get to build your own games as well. I feel like our games have gotten better just from the podcast, as funny as it sounds. So. Cool. Well, we enjoyed you guys. Thank you so much for coming on the show. If you guys have not subscribed to Overthrow Disc Golf on YouTube, do so. Join their patron. You can get a form review. I've had one, and it made a huge difference to me. And it made me feel pretty darn good about the potential for me to be able to throw far. Now, have I realized it yet? Not quite, but maybe we'll get some more form reviews in the bag. But thank you guys once again. And for everybody out there, including the guys at Overthrow, whether it's coffee or disc golf this week, don't forget to enjoy the grind.